are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bibles out to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, moreover brethren, I declare to you the gospel, underscore that word gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. That's good. By which also ye are saved, underscore ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again, the third day, according to the Scriptures. That he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under his presence, even but some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me also, as the one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, underscore that grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now keep in mind this portion. I heard of a young man coming out of a building the other day, a church building, and someone asked him what he thought of the sermon. I may not have all particulars, this is the most of it. He said the message was a good one, and it was, I'm sure. It dealt with some present-day affairs, some concerns of this hour. And the young man said, a good sermon. But he said, if I'd been preaching, I'd, I'd used a different theme. I think I would have preached on the greatest news in the world. And he said, if I were preaching, I think I'd repeat it again and again. The greatest news in the world. Now I want you to keep that in mind. Good news and bad news come to us daily. By newspapers, radio, television, telephone, gossip, we hear news. We often say, well, that's good news. Maybe about something around us. Maybe something in Washington, D.C. It may be something good. But news is common, good and bad. We hear it daily. But can we actually point to the greatest news in the world? I believe we can. The greatest news in the world is the news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins. My friend, nothing can exceed that in greatness. 
Christ died for our sins. We're all sinners. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. But there's news for every sinner. We're all sinners. But news for every sinner in Japan, in Korea, in Russia, in every part of the world. Good news for sinners in all conditions, in all places. News that offers hope for every man. But this news must be received to be meaningful to the individual. But as many received him to them, gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The good news. Here's the good news that came to Simon Peter. Andrew brought him to Jesus. He was saved. Here's the news that came to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Here's the news that came to the woman of Syria, chapter 4. Here's the news that came to the thief on the cross, Luke 23. Here's the news that came to the multitudes on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved and baptized. Here's the news that came to the crowd when the disciples preached and 5,000 saved, Acts 4. Here's the news that came to Saul of Tarsus and rode to Damascus and he was saved, Acts 9. Here's the news that came to Lydia, Acts 16, she was saved. Here's the news that came to the jailer's family in Philippi, Acts 16. Now, on and on we could go. The good news, the world's greatest news is the message Christ died for our sins. Now, my friend, that's the message that came to me when I was 14 years of age in Louisville, Kentucky. It changed my life completely. As this good news will change every life completely. I received Christ. A little Sunday school teacher told me. I received him as Savior. At 18 years of age, four years later, I felt the call to preach. And God said, I want you to proclaim the good news. And tell people everywhere that Christ died for their sins. And this is the message that I've been giving through these years. And the message I will continue giving until God calls me home. Or until Jesus comes. The greatest news in the world. We're missing it. We're minimizing it. Just like we're minimizing something else. My dear friend, the salvation of a sinner is the greatest transaction that can take place anywhere on the earth. Your salvation. Yet we're not too concerned about that. I'm finding that to be true. I travel in meetings. I have people saved. Nobody gets happy. I see people saved. Three-fourths of the audience turn and walk out the door and never come and shake hands with them. Yet I submit to you that salvation of the sinner is the greatest event can happen to any person. Yet we minimize it. We minimize it. We minimize it. The church up north where I saw 11 people saved one Sunday came forward. I dealt with some of them by myself. They were as happy as they could be. And rejoicing in the Lord. I had them to stand up here in the front. I said, stand here, come and shake. Let Come and shake hands with them. Everybody be happy and shake hands with these people. They're taken out of death into life. I tried to make it big. But as soon as I stepped back, the pastor walked up. He said, you 11 people may go back to your seats. We'll see you later. 
I said, Pastor, what do you mean? He said, we don't take them that way here. We deal with them personally in the home. I send the deacon to the home to see him. Brother, the deacons I met, I wouldn't want to meet them. Not, not in the home. Not, not that kind of man. And here there were 11 converts and sent them back. I'm submitting to you, my dear friend, this is the good news of salvation. The greatest news in the world. And if you're saved tonight, you sit there and rejoice in your heart that you've been born again. That you're in the family of God. That heaven is yours. And you be happy in that fact. And be so happy you can't contain it. Be so happy you've got to tell somebody else about it. Now what is the good news? The good news is Christ died for our sins. We're all sinners. We have all sinned come to show the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're condemned sinners, condemned already. We deserve hell. But Christ died in our place. He took our place on the cross. He made atonement for our sins. He bore our penalty in his own body. The gospel is the good news of salvation. We have light through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took our place on the cross. Think of it. Think of it. This great, holy Son of God coming down from heaven's glory and dying upon the cross. Don't ever minimize that. Don't ever thoughtlessly sing on a hill far away to an old rugged cross. Don't ever do that. Don't ever carelessly and childishly sing at the cross, at the cross, where our first soul life. That's great. This is great. But we miss it. I can't describe it. You can. I can't understand it. You can. But I must not get used to the idea and forget it. I've got to give it out. Now the world of flesh and the devil will fight this great message. The world will seek to ignore it, the world outside. The flesh will confuse it. That's where you have all these different denominations. That's where you have people believing everything in the world except the word of God. And the devil fights it. He knows the truth. Therefore, he clouds the issue. He deceives the foolish. He leads men astray. My lost friend, see your sin. See your lost condition. The soul that sinneth it shall die. See the love of God. But God commended his love toward us. For God so loved the world. And see the gift of his son Christ died for our sin. Now that's number one. Now notice what he does. Jesus said to Zacchaeus. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we dodge that word save sometimes. You ever notice that? We don't like to get up and say I'm saved. Now that's foolish. Here's the word of God. And Jesus said to this man, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the good news of Christ will save. That's the message of Jesus. The Holy Spirit taking that word, driving it into the heart, producing conviction. And opening the understanding to see Jesus as the only Savior. That's it. The miracle of it, I can't understand. He must be born again. I preached out in Houston, Texas. Beautiful church. A great crowd of people. Building was filled. 
I stood up there to preach and right in the middle of the house, in the middle of it, said a man, a young man, maybe 19, 20, 21, big fellow, big fellow, had on his head a red cap. You know this silly custom that men have wearing these caps, excuse me, men. That's right, they wear them everywhere. They go in, they go in restaurants and sit at the table with a red, with a cap on, you know, these, what do what they call them? I don't know what they are. Huh? Whatever it is. And they said, well, this fellow sat right in the middle of the house with a red cap on. Now, ordinarily, you know me well enough. I'd appoint us that son, take your cap off. You're in church. But somehow the Lord said, don't do it. And I went on and preached. Gave an invitation. At the end of the invitation time, I had the audience that stand up and said, if you know you're born again, stand to your feet. They stood up. The fellow of the red cap sat there. So I just left the platform and went back to him. I said, son, are you a Christian? He said, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, have you been born again? He said, sir, I don't know a thing about that. He said, sir, I've never been in church in my life. Houston's my hometown. But this is my first time to come to church. Can you imagine that? He said, I was walking down the street here, and a fellow came up to me a while ago and said, come on in here. And I came in. And had that red cap on his head still. Had on the briefest of shorts. Great big old rascal. And I said, son, you need to be saved. You're going to hell. I said, just one way to be saved. That's for your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's get it settled. I said, come on. He left that place, came to the front. I said, take your cap off. I called a young man who was sitting up front of a graduate of Tennessee Temple. I knew I could trust him. One of her graduates. Fine, wonderful fellow. I said, take this man, lead him to the Lord. Right in front of the pew, right in front of my pulpit, they knelt with a Bible and the pew put it down. And this Tennessee Temple graduate and this young man would take it off the red cap in his brief shorts, would kneel on the floor. In a few moments, after they read the word and prayed, this fellow stood up. A light on his face. A glorious, wonderful light. And he said, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. He was astonished. I don't blame him. But you say, people can't get saved. Oh, yes, they can get saved that way, too. We've had them come in the mission downtown, walk around the sidewalk, and get converted. The first time they're there, and this big fellow got saved. At the end of the hour, and who will forget, he came up on the platform, came up to me. He said, sir, I want to thank you. He said, that was the biggest thing ever happened to me in my life. When you walked back there and pointed to me and said, are you saved? And I didn't know anything about it. And he said, when you said, come to the front, and I did, and God saved my soul. He said, this is the greatest night of my life. I'll never forget you. Big old boy, 2021. 20, walked away from there, rejoicing in the Lord. Wait a minute. God can do it. I was preached last uh, Sunday and Monday in Sedalia, Illinois. In the church where Roger Martin pastored one time. They have another pastor now for you. But in that church, I told that story of the boy in Houston. 
Just felt like I gave it to you. Told the same thing. I came to the end of the hour. The young man walked down the aisle. Boy, was he a rough-looking critter. Hair, clothes, rough. He said, sir, I heard that story. I want to be saved. And we led that man to the Lord. That young man was saved. He came back to the church Monday night. Came forward again Monday night. He said, I want to thank you again for last night. And he said, I know I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I asked the pastor about it. And the pastor said, that is one of the roughest men in the whole city. He's got a reputation for his meanness. And he said, the Lord has spoken. He was there Sunday and Monday night again when I finished up my work. Now, wait a minute. This is good news. The news that saves Christ the Savior. Now, here's the good news of Christ that also transforms. For when one is saved, then he's transformed. He made it into a new creature in Christ Jesus. That happened to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And the Lord saved, and he became a new creature. And at once he's saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? At once, at once he was saying. And this is what it should be with all. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Many of you recall when a Jewish man was saved in Chattanooga. I had a little part in leading him to the Lord. He came and joined this church. I baptized him. He had money. And brother, he got, he got free with it. Before his salvation, he was selfish, covetous, hanging on to every penny. Trying to get or think a good out of people. But when he got saved, and I recall when he came in and got saved, he bought one boy a car for one of the chapel pastors to drive up to his chapel. He brought another boy a suit, a whole suit of clothes, and gave it to him and said, here. He bought a typewriter for one. He gave, and coming to see me, and stand before my desk, and bounce up and down. He said, this is the happiest time of my life. He said, imagine, imagine, I can help people. I can do something for folks. And I can win people to Christ. Now I'm saying that it transforms, and it does transform. And God will use that good news. The good news of Christ will calm the soul. Here's how Paul expressed it. Be careful. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. Which passeth all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds. Through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. What a mess this world is in. An awful mess. And some Christians are involved in it too. Because they have not surrendered their all to the Savior. They're confused too. And the whole world is an awful, awful mess. Did you read this every day in the newspaper just a few days ago? About the man setting fire to a nightclub up in New York City. And 87 people killed. 87 of them. Did you read also that the newspaper said that there were 700 unlicensed clubs like that one in New York City? 700 of them. And here's just one. And a fire and killed 87 people. Many were, if not all, were lost souls. They were there drinking and gambling and evil in the whole business. This needy, needy world of ours. And men, women seeking, seeking, but never finding that which will calm and give peace to the heart. Again, this good news will comfort the brokenhearted. When you're saved, the Lord is with you. 
His comforting words will come to you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And the salvation. Here's comfort for the graveside. When I pastored here at Highland Park for 40 years, I conducted funeral services over and over again. I averaged three per week. You can figure that out for yourself in the 40 years' time. Standing at the, at the solemn place of the grave. And I found that courage could be given to people. Does Jesus care? I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. He'll be with you. Good news, good news. I'm a child of God. I've received the good news. Saved through faith in Christ. Heaven is my home. And Christ is with me when I stand by the side of the grave. My father's gone. Many of you recall the day when you used to sit in the old Schoenstatt auditorium when you come to see me. My mother's gone. My wife's people are gone. They used to sit here right in the church. There with the Lord. And we've said goodbye to people everywhere, everywhere. But wait a minute. Through all of it, there is comfort for the brokenhearted. Heaven is real. And we're going to see our loved ones again in Christ. And we're going to rejoice forevermore. And this good news means that you'll never be alone. Now nor in eternity. He said, Lo, I'm with you. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I'm his own. And that's the good news. Now what must we do with it? What must we do with this great news? The greatest news in the world. Number one, we've got to believe it. We've got to believe it. Believe it so deeply that nothing can shatter your faith. Now you watch me carefully. In this auditorium, not too long ago, sat a young man who graduated from our school. As handsome as any man here, as intelligent as anyone here, a nice young man. He finished up. He was married. He had three, two, had two children. He left here. He took a church and was successful for a while. And then for some reason, he dropped out of the church. He couldn't find a place to preach. He wrote me letter after letter. I wrote back to him. I wrote him every time. I did encourage him. I said, keep holding on. Keep praying. Wait on God. Have faith in God. I kept on saying. And that went on for a long time. Then he wrote me a letter. He said, I can't make it. I got a wife. She's working. I take my children to school every day. I come home. And I'll spend the day alone. I can't find a job. I can't take care of my family. Nobody wants me to preach for them. I know I can preach. I know I know the word of God. He graduated from the school here with a good, good average grade. He said, but I've come to the end of the way. I wrote him back at once. He never got my letter. He took his wife to work and children at school one morning, drove his car back home, walked in the house, took a gun and killed himself. That sounds extreme, but that's happening all the time to people. And this young man, with the promise of everything, but somehow he came to the end of what he could do, and he did not hold on to say, Dear Lord, I know that you've saved me, call me, I want to do your will. 
And so my debate with him. Now, you've got to believe it, believe it. Then we've got to live it also. Now, what you believe in your heart about Jesus Christ is wonderful, but live it out so others can see it. Don't be ashamed of it. Let your testimony ring out. Let people see your life and notice what you are. Don't be ashamed of Christ. And don't be ashamed of his word. And don't be ashamed of your faith in him. And let people see in you the reflection of the Son of God. Live a clean life, a decent life, a holy life for the glory of God. I had someone say to me the other day, he said, Brother Robertson, you carry the separation thing too far. I said, you can't carry it too far. They said, yes, you do. That you preach on separation, that's going too far. You expect too much. I said, no, no. I said, what is the goal of your life? I said, let's ask you a question. Would you like to be like Jesus? Would you like to be like Christ? And this person said, yes. I said, okay, that's your goal. You can't go higher than that, can you? You can't go higher than that. That's the goal for your life. And you're to aim to be like him. And here at Tennessee Temple, let's hold on to the same standards we've always had. Don't you vary one bit. Don't you vary one bit. People are questioning. I had a letter on yesterday. Man questioning. He said, understand Tennessee Temple, give it up for standards. They don't understand what they used to stand for. I don't know the man, just wrote a two-page letter. He said, I can no longer recommend the school. He said, unless you stand for the thing you stood for all through the years. Then he mentioned some things that he had heard about. And I hope he's wrong, altogether wrong in what he heard. Because I hadn't heard it. But he said, you've got to stand. He said, now he's not alone. There are preachers who believe that way. And people everywhere. And this school tendency temple must stand for the faith, for the word of God, for separation from the world, for decency in life, in speech, in action, in every way. There to see Christ in us. And you young people don't think that I'm just being old-fashioned. I'm not. I'm saying you keep your eyes on Jesus and seek to be like him. You can't go higher than that. And that should be the goal of every single one of us. And we must hold to the standards at the church and the school and in our individual lives. The standards that nobody can question. They know what we are and who we are and what we are. By the way that we stand. And you stand and see what God can do for you. I've preached in more than 800 churches since I retired. I said 800 of them. I'm booked up all through this year, three per week. Next year, the same way. Just do, going as God opens the door. But in every place, the same way. People are hungry. And the churches are not succeeding because they have lessened their standards in many places and changed their way of doing things. And now they see it's there, but well, what can we do? They've changed their reaching out after people. The goals of Sunday school and visitation. Many have given up the visitation program. They've changed the bus work and they've gotten away from that. They've changed the Sunday night service. They've changed the prayer service. They've changed all of it. And yet they wonder what's wrong. There's no mystery. 
Just get the thing that's right and do what's right and do what's right. And if it's right, keep on doing it. If God blesses it and leaves it, then you go ahead. But there must be a holding to the clean life and the decency and honorable action on the part of God's people. Then we must share the good news. We've got to share it. You've got to and I've got to. I've been speaking at missionary conferences the last few weeks. I've spoken to two of them for a number of days. And I jumped all of the all of missionaries. I love missionaries. They know what to do. You know what I jumped on about? I jumped on about the letters they write. I said, you write to me and tell me what kind of clothes you wear. Where you ate dinner last Sunday. How far you are from so and so. And I said, I don't hear a thing about that. I want to know how many people have been saved. I don't know how you preach the gospel. How do you preach? How do you give the message? What are you doing? These missionaries, I haven't had a one to rebel or get mad at me yet. They've come up and said, Brother Robertson, you're right. Today I opened up my missionary mail again, six or eight letters from missionaries, and again the same thing. Talking about minor things that don't mind a thing in the world. Wait a minute, we've got to share the news. And the missionary, along with all of us here, we've set for one great task, that's to give the gospel to people everywhere. And to keep on giving it. And give it now, don't put it off. I was with the other day in the place a man came up to me that I want you to pray, pray for my boss. My boss is a Jew. And a good Jew. But he said, I've been working on now for a number of years. And he said, I, I, I'm trying to work with him. He said, I, I'm not trying to preach to him. But he said, I'm just working up a place where I can give him the gospel after a while. I said, have you ever witnessed to him at all? He said, no, not yet. I'm not ready for it yet. He said, it's going to take a good long while to get him up to a place where I can even do that. I said, well, sure, he may die before you get there. If he dies, goes to hell. You better give it right now. Give it right now. Now, we must share the good news and share it at once. Why? Why must we do this? Because the tag, the tag of death is upon every man. It is upon that the man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. And we've got to be diligent in preaching the word of God, for every man is tagged. You've got the tag on you, I've got on me. We're tagged for death. Only one thing can keep us from the grave, and that's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray we'll come any moment. But we've got to be sharing the gospel with those who are coming to the end of the way. The poor, the rich, the humble, the dirty, the clean, the self-righteous, the dignified, the common, whatever they are. And God to give them the message of, of the Lord Jesus. We mustn't fail. This is our business. We must not fail. And God's got to move upon us in some way that we forget our pride. We forget our seeking of some easy way. We forget our seeking for something that looks dignified and nice until we sacrifice and say, Oh God, I want to see people saved. I want to give the gospel to them that they might repent and believe and be born again and be brought in the family of God. What's the greatest news? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The greatest news in the world is this. I read recently the story of a Christian man who had a wicked, unbelieving son. The Christian the man became ill, the father. 
He called in his son. He did his best to plead with the boy to receive Christ. The son said, no, I don't want it. Not interested, not concerned. And the father did his very best with that boy. But the boy was adamant, stubborn, willful, sinful. He refused. Then the father said to the boy, he said, son, I want you to promise me something. I'm going to die in a few days. I'm going to die in this room because I'm not going to the hospital. There's no need for it. The doctor will come here and I need not go to the hospital. I'm going to die in this room. But he said, something I want you to promise me. Would you do it? And the young man wanted to please his dying father. said, Dad, if that's what you want, if there's something I can do for you, I'll do it. So the father said this. He said, son, the day that I die, after the funeral service is over, I want you to come back to this room and sit down quietly in the chair for 20 minutes and think about death. My death and your death. My death and your death. And then he said, I want you to come back for six days more, making seven in all, for seven days and sit in that chair and think about death. And the young man had already given his word and said, all right, Dad, I don't like it, but I'll do it for your sake, if that's what you want. The father died. Had the funeral. The boy came back to the room and sat down in the chair for 20 minutes. He thought about his father, his death. He loved his dad. But he thought about it. Then he thought about his death. The next day he came back and sat again, 20 minutes. The third day for 20 minutes, he sat back. But the 20 minutes was getting long. It seemed like the longest time of the whole day, 20 whole minutes. And finally the fourth day came and he walked in the room. He started to sit down and the story says he never sat down. He fell on the floor on his face and said, Oh God, forgive me and save me for Jesus' sake. What am I saying? We've got to help people to see what it is to die without Christ. And we've got to make them see what Christ did for them when he died for them on Calvary's cross. And we've got to get the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Tell it again and again and rejoice. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.